0: So what you're saying is, uh, I'm Peter Whittle. Now, I've been saying this a lot over the past few weeks, but I'm afraid I'm going to say it again. Please do subscribe to us, won't you? We're on 110,000 subscribers now and 12 million views. And that's brilliant. But we need you to subscribe. It's very simple. Just go to the subscribe button. And then next door to it, there is one saying notifications. That means that you get programs as and when they come up. So please do that, won't you? Now, my guest this week is someone who actually has a real important place in the hearts of us here at the New Culture Forum for very, very good reason. Rod Liddle, who's a columnist for the Sunday Times and Spectator and The Sun, uh, was the first of our interviewees when we started two years ago to get a huge audience. It was something like a third of a million people watched the interview with him and it effectively sort of basically started us off so I'm very grateful he's back here today. Thank you, Rod. That's quite a build-up, but thank you very much for that. <laughs> it's
1: a pleasure. I had no idea I would have asked for money.
0: Uh, please, please, please. No, no. <laughs> no.
1: But, but delighted, delighted that it all worked.
0: Yes, it worked very well. Uh, Rod, you're in Kent, aren't you? Um, presumably yeah. you've stayed there for this whole period. We're coming up actually almost dead on a year since this whole thing began. Yeah. And you've not missed presumably coming to London. (laughs) Please. Um, It has been the single happiest
1: event of my life, lockdown. Uh, It is better. It's given me more pleasure than the birth of my own children. (laughs) (laughs) I'm one of the people who has benefited from lockdown. Uh, Many, 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 many others haven't. Uh, But for me, not having to go to London is number one on the list of reasons why I've liked it. Uh, not having to meet other people is number two. Uh, number three is if you do meet other people, staying well away from them and not hugging them. Um, number four is having a total kind of fascistic control over my family uh, and what they eat as I do all the cooking. Um, and so so it's... it's it's, I've got my own little Sarlo Republic down here in Kent and no one's allowed in.
0: I remember when we uh, spoke last time that you uh, you you were pretty critical of London, you know, as it stood at the time. I mean, I, for reasons I totally get. Um, do you think, you know, a, lo- a lot of people are saying, oh, London should get special help because of what it is. It's the capital in this time. Do You, you wouldn't agree with that, presumably?
1: I don't know, actually. Uh, I think that the story hasn't really broken yet, but it is beginning to. I think there's going to be a real, real problem for London and the take-up of this vaccine. Um, and I think we're going to see a situation in, in three or four months' time uh, where London will be a bit like Tuscaloosa um, in the Deep South, uh, in that there will be white people happily eating out in restaurants. Uh, with their vaccine cards uh, and an awful lot of underprivileged, underpaid, uh, put upon uh, ethnic minority people not allowed to do anything. So I I think a a big problem is being stored up there. Uh, How do you deal with it? I'm not sure. You obviously try to educate. Um, You try to get people to understand statistics, which they seem completely incapable of understanding, and also to understand risk. Um, But it's, it's very, very difficult. And uh, I think one of the things is that the, the government needs to tie the taking of the vaccine to some sort of loosening of behavior. Otherwise, the incentive for people to take it when they're 25 years old and, and COVID, frankly, wouldn't give them a moment's worry, uh, uh, will not take, why would they take the vaccine? Because I think we're going to have to be doing this every year You know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and um, I think even then, I don't see us coming out of lockdown, um, uh, coming out of this sort of in lockdown, out of lockdown business for a very, very long time. I don't know how long.
0: I think uh, the way I I, I can see it happening now is that in the summertime, uh, the situation might be rather like it was in last last year's summertime, where you have this kind of pubs and things were open, but you had these restrictions on them. That seems to be the way... I'm
1: not sure, you know, I think, I think they messed up last summer. I think the obvious, the obvious mistake, two obvious mistakes, were, were firstly was to say, July the 4th is our independence day and we should all go out and get rat assed, all, all really enjoy ourselves, which was a, a fantastically stupid thing to say. I mean, the, the, the thing to have done would have been to uh, have a kind of gradual easing uh, and the second thing that was daft was eat out to help out, uh, which which just <laughs> sent lots of people to McDonald's uh, where they sprayed their plague over everybody else. So, so I, I think they may have learned from last year and may, I think, we're already beginning to be warned, don't book your summer holidays, you know, and all yeah, that kind think, of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's going to be quite the same. Um, I think it's going to be a bit more restricted. But what do I know?
0: Well, no, no. I mean, the thing, what is, because we have never talked about the whole thing with lockdown and COVID. What do you think has been, what is, what do you think has characterized the reaction of this country to it? I mean, what, has anything surprised you about it or or not?
1: I think uh, it shouldn't have surprised me, but it's immediate politicization Um Still shocks today, uh, which is that you know, by and large, if you are anti-lockdown, uh, you are also anti-woke, anti-Brexit, etc., etc., etc. And the the dividing line does seem to be precisely that, which is which is very odd. It, it's just the way we are at the moment that everything immediately becomes co-opted into our political armoury, no matter what it is. Um, well, I'm surprised at the I was surprised at the sluggishness of the government to deal with it initially. Um, I'm surprised they're still saying we can beat the virus, which obviously you can't. Um, the virus is, is going to be with us, and we have to adapt to it. Uh, I'm a little surprised. I was a little surprised at the take-up of the vaccine, exceeding expectations, even if it was under, the, uh, uh, under old people like myself. Um, but I think an awful lot of that, and I think, Similarly, uh, with the cases in, in, in uh, on the continent, the, the reason we've had such a high take-up is slightly tied in with national pride and a sense of achievement, and we're better than you, France, um, and, and Brexit. Indeed, uh, I think I think all of that stuff has played into the fact that we've had a really big take-up i keep talking to my editor at the sunday times um, and she keeps saying people are beginning to rebel they're beginning to rebel i don't see it yet yeah, i just I don't, don't see mean, it yeah. uh and indeed the numbers of people who are anti-lockdown has stayed stubbornly at around the 20 percent mark mm. for for a, for an entire year mm. it, it hasn't moved hardly at all and i remember having the same conversation with with uh, brendan o'neill yeah spikes online and Brendan, right from the outset, was was very, very anti-lockdown. And I did begin to wonder if people would turn in that direction, but there is no sign whatsoever.
0: You were not anti-lockdown, were you, uh, Rod? No.
1: Uh, No, certainly not initially. Uh, I'm now not sure. I I think the the initial reaction, the the first reaction should have been to close borders, of course, which Mm. the government failed to do and should have done um i can see that faced with what seemed to be a singularity and which given the number of deaths was a singularity i mean that's i, I don't want to get into that tiresome old argument about uh, people who would have died anyway because it's it's simply been proven to be wrong um so so the the, the excess deaths the rapidity of its spread um and and all that made me think that yes you have to do something what could you do you can probably do this whether lockdowns in the long run are are a waste of time is a is a good question too often i felt that lockdowns were being imposed simply to protect that uh sacred cow of a bloated bureaucracy the national health service rather than actually to save lives even if uh, those two were at times coterminous, such as over the winter. Um, my guess is that there will have to come a point when the government and its very left-wing uh, epidemiology advisers begin to understand the nature of risk and, the, the, and, and weigh up how many deaths per year we can live with with, with COVID, um, the number of deaths we've had so far, you would probably say was unacceptable, and that we can't live with them. But given that we have flu epidemics every year where you know, eighteen, twenty thousand people die, is that the kind of figure we're looking at? And someone has got to someone has got to take that hard judgment, and say yes, we can live with those kind of figures.
0: I have to say, from my point of view, when it started, there, were, I, there were, it, it was always something that felt slightly wrong about it. I mean, you know, I, I'm not saying wh- whatever you think about the lockdown. Um, when you look back to the Hong Kong uh, pandemic or the S- South Asian flu epidemic, so 1950s, 1960s, the, lo- the level of excess deaths was something like 80,000, I think in both cases, But they but they, there was certainly not a lockdown, but they weren't even that covered. I mean, it was all... but it's
1: it's, it's fascinating, Peter. It's really, really fascinating. Um, The government tells us, and all the governments in Europe and everywhere else tell us that they're responding, they're following the science, they're following the science. They're not. Everything we're doing is contingent upon where we are now as a society. You could not have had a lockdown in 1968 with that flu epidemic because people couldn't work from home mm. um uh, they, they simply couldn't work from home and so the economy would have been fucked within you know a week mm. uh, you couldn't have done it nor in 1968 That's could true. we have you, mm. pardon
0: i i hadn't that hadn't occurred to me yes of course people didn't have computers and things yeah
1: we didn't have computers uh, and we're far more a knowledge-based economy now and a service-based economy than we were in 1968. 1968, people had to go into places to make things, um, you know, and we couldn't have stopped doing that. Um, we, we simply couldn't have stopped doing that. So, so everything the government's done is contingent. Um, similarly, uh, the great route out of this this debacle, this this tragedy for many. Uh, is the vaccine and the development of vaccines. There was no way on earth that that could have been held out as uh, as a cure in 1968. We simply didn't have the ability to create a vaccine in the space of a year uh, that we can do now. That's something comparatively recent. Even if this had been 1992, I don't think we would have gone into lockdown. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think it's only the fact that we are able to do things whilst mm. being locked down, that the, 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 the government has come along with it.
0: Do you just, uh, before we leave this, do, do you, I had a sort of feeling, oh, but the British, they're a bit truculent, you know, they're a bit, they can be a bit sort of uh, angry about their rights, you know, you're not going to push me around, I'm a free-born Englishman, etc. Have you not been surprised by the level of compliance about all of this? Uh, no, not no. good, <laughs> I think
1: your your view of the British people is a very noble one and last had any sway in about 1952, the late summer of 1952. Um, and I think people these days have been inculcated into a state whereby they have their rights um, and they have their right. Their most important right at the moment, at the moment uh, is never to die from anything. Um, so they will, not, they will not die from anything ever. It's, it's the, mm-hmm. if, you, if you listen to the leader of a teaching union, mm-hmm. that is roughly their position. We must never be allowed to die. Uh, and so I, I think over the last 30 years, the British people have become very, very different. Mm-hmm. There's still, a, there's still a, a great redoubt, largely in the north of the country, where, where people are a little less lily livered But no, the rest of us have become so accustomed to safety um, and convenience and comfort, uh, and they, they, they don't like the idea of of coughing themselves to death on a respirator.
0: Some of the things that have happened during this period, though, is, uh, it, it is quite interesting. Uh, it, they would be big even if there hadn't been COVID. I'm talking about the continuing culture wars. Before we go any further, Rod, do you, do you actually agree with the term culture war?
1: Um, I've never really thought about it, to be honest. It's just another one of those phrases which crops up. I suppose it is a culture war. Uh, it seems to me to be the dismantling of everything decent about Western civilization in the last 500 years. Uh, I would call it that if, if I were to call it anything. I think it's uh, the age of unillusion uh, or deillusion, the deillusionment. Uh, it's uh, uh, it's incredible, um, and it continues and i don't think i think everything's contingent everything's contingent um just as the way we've approached covid is contingent upon our lifestyle and our circumstances now so the culture wars have progressed uh contingent upon covid there is no question on god's earth that footballers would have been taking the knee if fans had been there to watch them from the beginning it would never have happened Mm, mm. um or at least it may have happened for one week and then they'd yeah. soon have stopped it, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I think the greatest beneficiaries of COVID by a long, long way, uh, ironically, you might think, considering the death rates, uh, are Black Lives Matter. But no, no question about that. This was an organisation which escaped scrutiny, which did what organisations do these days, these days, and which we've seen lately with the horrible killing of Sarah Everard. Uh, is leap upon a single instance, a singularity and uh, wage a crusade to destroy the fabric of society. (laughs) They want to destroy the fabric of society. There is no way on earth that BLM would have had the traction it had had if COVID hadn't been around. Um, And, you know, the sight of coppers going down on bended knees and all that. None of that. None of that would have happened. So I think it's been an incredibly good year uh, for the forces of uh, inanity and stupidity, yes.
0: During that period, like you, uh, the BM, BLM uh, protests last year, there were also our institutions, you know, everything from the British Library to the National Trust, to all of these people, uh, very quickly um, essentially crumbling, or you might say not crumbling, that if they, it's almost like they took this Meeting opportunity. On, on it.
1: Sorry? It's opportunity, yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, no, no, it's opportunity, it's yeah. It's not crumbling. They are. They and and of course we see with our TV adverts. uh, It is it is it is across the woke corporate sphere Mm. uh, that wokeness now has a hold, Mm. um, and predicated upon the wishes of a tiny minority of this population. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And that that has been for me the most depressing thing of the last year, which has been the speed with which the Premier League. For example, jumps on the back of Black Lives Matter. This is an organisation, BLM, which wishes to destroy capitalism, which is an institution I've always thought the Premier League rather liked. Um, you know, but no, they on it, they were on it. The BBC was on it. Everyone wearing their BLM badges. You know, a, an organisation which wishes to destroy the nuclear family. An organisation who one of its leaders in this country said. They didn't want equality. They wanted white people to be their slaves. Mm. <laughs> you know? mm. uh, and th- there was no scrutiny of it. They immediately jumped onto it. People like Yorkshire tea. Mm. I will never drink Yorkshire tea again. Yeah. They were another one of uh, mm. corporate virtue signaling twats. Mm. Um, who uh, uh, I, uh, My contempt for these people is utterly, utterly boundless. And, uh, you know, very, very few people stood up to say anything against it. And if they did, they were shouted down by the Twitterati. And don't forget, Twitter is this this sort of ghastly melange, largely of perpetually active leftists. Um, there are a few right-wing nutters on there as well, but it's largely, I would go on it, uh, but it's largely the left which does this howl round and which forces people into making decisions which later they will come to regret, yeah. you know. English Heritage, another another bunch. The British Library, yeah. with that dense woman in charge of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, busy going back through all the books to see if any of them have any link with slavery. You stupid woman. And Kew mm-hmm. Gardens. Mm-hmm. You notice Kew Gardens is busy at the moment relabeling its sugar cane. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the fuck,
0: Peter? Yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, honestly. Yeah. I think as well, you know, you mentioned it was an opportunity. Uh, the BBC used it as well, didn't they, with the proms? I mean, you know, ah, yes. with the last yes. night, what, what, you know, Even if you don't really watch the last night of the proms, even if you think it's corny or whatever, the fact is they, they, they almost said it, Rod. They sort of said, this gives us a great opportunity with no audience to see how we might refresh on this. Oh,
1: the BBC lied through its teeth. Um, uh, and the outgoing director-general, I think, lied as well. It first lied through its teeth by saying that the poor uh, Finnish-Ukrainian conductor had objected to the jingoistic nature of uh, rural Britannia and land of hope and glory. She hadn't. She she hadn't hadn't said a word. Hadn't said a word. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the poor woman was forced to say, no, I wouldn't dream of saying such a thing. It would be arrogant. Uh, So they lied. They lied about it. Then they lied and said that it was about Covid of course you know it's always it's about covid we can't do it because of covid that's what tony hall said uh, and as soon as tim davey came in we were able to have it no problem at all there was no problem with covid no one was unhappy and if you'd seen the look on i've forgotten the name of the lady that if you would seen the the look on the face of that finnish ukrainian conductor um at the end of the last night of the proms, the sheer joy mm. and happiness mm. that she took mm. in that—it mm. uh, was all worth it for that. But no, the BBC behaved absolutely despicably. Mind you, that being said, have you ever read the words to "Rule Britannia"?
0: Yes, they I have. Truly
1: are, they truly are—they truly are fucking stupid. I mean, even 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 by the normal standards of jingoistic songs, "Rule Britannia." has a kind of surreal madness about it.
0: <laughs> but it's I so wish. not the point, though, is it, Rod? It's... it's not the point. Of course it's not the
1: point. <laughs> I will go to my grave defending our right to sing an imbecilic in.
0: <laughs> but the thing is, uh, you know, obviously you were to the BBC, you were editor of the Today programme. Uh, do you think that, you know, even though we've got Tim Davie, I noticed we've discussed it here on the channel. You know, they put a new diversity and inclusion uh, policy in place. Uh, it seems to be business as usual. Do do you think the BBC ever can actually seriously reform and change?
1: I don't know. I think we should give Tim Davie a bit of time. Mm. Uh, His first act was the the proms, restoring Mm the proms. Um, There were already a whole bunch of diversity targets and stuff kicking around. Uh, he didn't introduce that. What he did do was introduce the idea that perhaps some working-class people could be allowed to work for the BBC at some point in time. Uh, he's axed the Daily Mash.
0: Yes, that's good.
1: <laughs> you know, so <laughs> so, so, so he, he, is, he is really... Can it change? Yes, of course it can change. I mean, I shouldn't have been so wary. But back in 19... 19- 78, say, Um, the BBC, like the Church of England, and actually like teachers in schools, were conservative. They were pro-conservative. I remember being infuriated at Radio 1 DJs like Pete Murray, who were ardent supporters of Margaret Thatcher. Mm, mm. Kenny Everett, another supporter of Margaret Thatcher. All the popular light entertainers of the day were Thatcherite. Mm. Tarby, Morecambe and Wise, the two Ronnies, Mm. all of that stuff. Mm. You know, the BBC and and those other institutions were all small C and, to a greater degree, large C, conservative. And it's changed. There is no reason, therefore, why it shouldn't be able to change back. Right. perhaps we will need to shoot some people but um, once we've done that <laughs> I think we can move on
0: Roger, <laughs> um, you said at the beginning there when we were talking about the, the way in which issues now are being uh, politicized one incident or a, a, an incident is being politicized appalling though that incident might be um, you know you mentioned the you know the recent uh, terrible kidnap and death of that young woman, um, there has been a sort of sense in which uh, some people are kind of looking at this to kind of make a wider point, you know, men should be curfewed and this kind of thing. Uh, Do you feel that that kind of, what I'd call slightly sort of unhinged response to things like this, that seems to be relatively new. We seem to be in a state of perpetual protest.
1: Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. I think it's not merely unhinged. I think it's, it's it's incredibly selfish. And it's part of the it's part of the me, me, me generation. Mm. You know, th- this poor girl suffered an appalling murder and she's forgotten mm. and she's forgotten. And the bright side of her being forgotten is that 55 female Fleet Street correspondent uh, women columnists can write about how they were chatted up in a pub by a bloke 10 years ago it it's become absurd. Mm, 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 um, mm. You know, even without the uh, uh, the involvement of that old ratbag Jenny Jones, mm. um, Baroness Moonshine, or whatever she's called, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> telling us that men have to... <laughs> I can't remember her name. Mulescombe, <laughs> Mulescombe. <that's> <laughs> um, telling us that men... She, she really hates men. Mm. Uh, she was... Uh, She was also in the House of Lords recently trying to stop men who had been accused of any form of domestic abuse from having any parental rights. Not proven guilty, but actually just alleged. Um, So, yeah, uh, and the internet, of course, has facilitated all this, especially Twitter. It's instantaneousness and the fact that, you know, if you remember, when we had this thing about petitions with the government, that, you know, once you've got to 100,000 names on a petition, um, then the government had to take it seriously. And, and it is so massively, massively outdated. I could get 100,000 signatures on a petition which said that you're actually a goblin, uh, and I could hand it in to the, to the government, and they would have to take it seriously. I mean, we've got it all out of kilter, you know. Um, the government would be well advised to ignore Twitter uh, entirely.
0: But with, uh, with, whether it's Twitter or uh, where, wherever else it's coming from, during this period, uh, a lot of people have taken the opportunity to say that misogyny should become a hate crime. This has become kind of mixed up in this particular terrible yeah. murder. Um, you wrote recently, I thought beautifully, about the Scottish hate crime Bill, actually, it's law now. It's gone through, albeit slightly watered down. But what is your... It's not that much watered there.
1: It's not that no, much no. watered there. No, no. Um, don't forget women were excluded from it. Yes. <laughs> so- but not trans women. <laughs> well, not men, no. no, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. If I put a wig on, it would be absolutely fine. I could, you know, I would be protected from everything. Hmm. Um uh, I, I mean, it's 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 an absurdity. But everything—the the, the reason liberals oppose, well, by liberals I mean in the American sense. I mean, you know who I'm talking Yeah, yeah. You know, um, the reason they oppose freedom of speech isn't because they fear people will be hurt. It's because their arguments are built on nothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They are often, often di- they are often paradoxical. Um, they're, they're like a mohair jumper knitted by an idiot, mm. that if you pull on one thread, the whole thing comes apart. Mm. And so, you know, uh, 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 gay people will be insistent that there is a gay gene. Mm. So far as we know, there isn't a gay gene, but anyway, that, that their gayness is hardwired. Mm. And yet... Being a woman isn't hardwired. Mm, mm, mm. I mean, it, it is an absurdity and a patent absurdity, and we all know it's an absurdity. And women are getting closer and closer to that position. I mean, it, it is it is remarkable. Um, our court system at the moment accepts that accepts entirely that sex is something which men do to women. Mm. In other words men are after it, and women are the gatekeepers, you know? Uh, and so our rape laws and our sexual assault laws are all based around that. The argument from feminists is that women and men want sex equally and, and have the same appetites and so on. It's patently not true. You know, men and women are different. We are very different. We're complementary. And... Uh, it may be that we get to a stage where we begin to understand that uh, on on the, on the misogyny side of things uh, and and the and violence against women we're in probably second or third best country in the world for yeah. for a, a lack of violence against women but but it's still the case 90% of men uh, 90% of violent crimes are committed by men yeah. the, 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 there is no argument with that we are different. We are different, mm. and they have to understand. They have to understand that now. It means that we need educating. Of course, it does, and we have been educated in the last fifty, sixty years. But it also means a realization on the part of of the campaigners that we are essentially different. Mm. Mm.
0: Thing is, though, is that. <laughs> In a way, one can't take them at their word because, okay, you talk about misogyny, and we, we you know, we, we are using what we understand to be misogyny. The, the point is that isn't the problem with this behind this is that any criticism, you know, of anything, if you are a woman, will be or could be, therefore said, oh well, you know, this is because I'm a woman. You're a misogynist. And the whole point with hate crimes is that they're entirely subjective. Well, you know, no, I, I, I would abolish all hate crimes. There should be
1: crimes, and that's it. Yeah. You know, um, uh, I don't think it's any worse of me to, to, to punch a guy because he's black than it is if I punched him because he was a disc jockey or a member of the Liberal Party. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's they're all they're all wrong, and they're all wrong <laughs> for good reason. You know, well, I'm not <laughs> sure about the question. but um, no, no, you're right. Hate crimes are entirely entirely subjective. Except, of course, these days they're not. Uh, Because we have decided that if someone has said that they are the victim of a hate crime, then objectively they have been a victim of a hate crime. And any discretion on the part of the police or the newspapers or anyone, they have been, and that's an end to it. You know, it's bizarre.
0: How does it affect what you do, Rod? I mean... You know how does how does hate crime expansion because it's in its it's in its very nature to expand. I mean, a few years ago when this misogyny thing came up, for example, I remember thinking, "You've got to be kidding!" I mean, surely not. Here we are, right? So it's sort of expanding. Surely it makes your professional life difficult, does it not? Yes.
1: Yes. Though it means there's always something to write about, mm. uh, but yes, it does. Um, there was a time, from about March last year to July last year, when I simply couldn't write about BLM. Right. It simply wouldn't have got in. Mm. No, I couldn't, and even exercising self-censorship, the stuff still wouldn't have got in. Right. You know, <clears throat> because to say "White Lives Matter" as well was considered racist. Mm. When you're in that particular neck of the woods, yeah. there, there, is, there is no rational argument to be had, Pete, you know? There, yeah, there is yeah, nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it makes it far harder. There's stuff which which I would like to say, which I can't say, which has, you know, and that's changed in the last two or three years. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I doubt whether I'll be allowed to write about the fallout from the murder of Sarah Ambrard, mm-hmm. you know? um yes it does yeah it's fristed enormously
0: enormously but this is oh, a, oh, I'm this is a this is a, a, a terrible though uh, rod i mean you know that okay you're known for being you know outspoken and frank but when you look at the broader society all the polls and things now show that people feel they can't actually talk they don't there is, conf- right. there is confusion. They don't quite know what they can and cannot say, so therefore they choose, fair enough, they choose to err on the side of caution and just simply say nothing.
1: Yes, yes, it's, it's the silencing of a, of, of a country, the silencing of a majority of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, there's no question about that whatsoever. I, I, you know, you look for glimmers of hope. One glimmer of hope is on the trans debate, where I think now even pretty much woke people are beginning to realise, Christ, we've got this really, really badly wrong, haven't we? Mm -hmm. Um, And you saw that with that landmark court case which came in the middle of last year uh, in which um, uh, a bloke uh, who transitioned took the Tavistock Clinic to, to court and won and the adjudication said that it was pretty much impossible to have interventions for anyone under the age of 18, pretty much impossible, Mm. and they shouldn't do it. That was an enormous uh, statement of honesty and truth. Mm. Uh, And I think since then, you've seen more and more commentators uh, coming out and saying what they feel is right about, about the trans issue, about the, erasure of women from everyday life, yeah. and particularly from competitive sports. Uh, you, you're seeing that more and more often, even amongst people. I find it a bit galling, to be honest. The trans debate has become <laughs> has become the little little area of wokeness, which even the woke can attack and still feel good about themselves. Yeah. And you saw that yeah. with the defenestration of Suzanne Moore yeah. from The Guardian. Yeah. Um, uh, because on everything else, Suze is woker than a baby at three o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah. Uh, but she, but she can hide behind this, <laughs> this, uh, this rare moment of reality, reality, which has intruded into her life when it comes to, uh, when it comes to transgenderism.
0: We did, uh, I think when we discussed when you were on at the very beginning of our channel, um, you came up with this great expression, which I think probably was a bit optimistic, maybe, Rob, where you said uh, we'd reached peak wank with the, with yes. the trans thing. Um, well, maybe it wasn't peak wank, but are you more or less saying that actually we might have just passed peak wank now?
1: <laughs> I think I, uh, you'd have to separate them out. I think that uh, the, the, the trans issue um, is an outlier uh, and that we have passed the peak of that. Mm particular mm. crock of wank, if I can put it like that. <laughs> uh, but but quite clearly, uh, on race, we are nowhere near mm. the mm. peak wank. Mm. Uh, and uh, I would guess on misogyny uh, and uh, women's rights either, uh, I, I think we're still in trouble there as well.
0: Speaking of sort of uh, crock of wank, uh... What, do you, what was your reaction to yeah. this thing, with, you know, last week with Meghan and Harry and this interview? I know that you always were a Republican, uh, Rod. It, yeah. It's, uh, and uh, you, I assume you still are a Republican? Uh, oh,
1: well, what, uh, up, to, up to a point, I, uh, I mean, technically, of course, everyone should be a Republican because a monarchy is a ludicrous institution. But nonetheless, you know, I, I could remember considering back at about, this would have been about 2008 or nine wondering about uh the monarchy and thinking who do you want as your titular head of state do you want the queen who's done a remarkable job for 60 odd years uh, and prince philip ditto or do you want baldrick from blackadder who would be voted in you know that's the that's that's <laughs> the kind of person you get you get that you get baldrick from blackadder or you'd or get uh, uh eddie Izzard, you know <laughs> And I could, or Tony Blair, you know, and uh, and I came to the conclusion, better stick with the devil you know for a bit. Uh, and if if it were possible for the Queen to hand over her throne to Anne or directly to William, I, I'd still be pretty much pro-monarchy on that. Um, I think, I mean, you won't be surprised, you know, I think pretty much like most of the rest of the public, according to three now opinion polls, um I found I found Megan and Harry almost beyond repulsive. Mm. Uh it is the the whining self-entitlement, narcissism and me, me, me stuff yeah. uh of wokeness. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. That's what wokeness mm-hmm. has with it. But the the, the the whole thing I think stems I mean, we've imported a lot of it from America and I think I was writing about this in the spectator recently that that America's um, elevation of the individual uh, is somewhere wrapped up in this wokeness, which is always about an individual's rights. And an individual can even have his or her own truth, which is obviously an absurdity. Um, and, And so, you know, Harry and Meghan, I would hope would be shepherded into oblivion by the fact that they no longer have any royal duties, but... You know, that's up to the Americans.
0: It's funny. It's one of those occasions, uh, I watched it, it's one of those occasions where my feelings of revulsion about it have kind of grown. I mean, you know, I haven't become more considered. I've actually been thinking, wait a minute, you sit there and what the damage you have done. And, Mm. you know, and also to talk about mental health in the way that you have. What about the mental health of your grandmother, (laughs) you know?
1: Mental mental health is another one of those issues. Yes, which is which I cannot write about. Mm. You know, I cannot write about it. Um, I know from my daughter's state school when she went to a state school, the teacher's overriding concern was that everyone should be in good mental health, that they mustn't have any mental health issues. Mm. I wanted them to teach my daughter things, you know, but that was never the concern. This this obsession with mental health mm-hmm. is another another facet of that individualism, you know. Uh, and having a mental health issue now in schools, for example, has become something rather desirable to acquire mm-hmm. because it marks one out. Uh, it's so, no, absolutely, and all part of the same thing with Meghan Merkel. Uh,
0: Rod, um... sorry. Can I ask you before, you know, before we leave you, because I know you've got a column to write. um, Yeah. But just something you said towards the beginning there, where you said that what we've been seeing alongside COVID is this attempt to essentially delegitimize the very good things of about the past 500 years of a civilization. Uh, Yeah. I don't want to just let that go, Rob, because that I entirely agree with you. I, I, I think that's what it is but also our viewers who come back to us in such great numbers, they sense this too. They sense that this is not just about Meghan Markle or it's not just about Black Lives Matter and it's not just about this, that. It's a kind of wider thing. Yeah. Do, you, do you feel pessimistic or optimistic? I mean, do you, about the future? about this?
1: pessimistic about this without, without any question at all. There is a determined, explicit... uh uh, agenda to eradicate the last 500 years of western civilization believing that it's predicated on inequality through critical race theory uh, and also through people who are just too sick to think and so everybody is now i mean if if you go back 15 20 years everyone before that time doesn't stand up to scrutiny to any of these people You know, sooner or later, they've already got round to Gandhi. Mm. You know, um, they will sooner or later get round to Martin Luther King.
0: I think they sort of already have actually. Yeah, I think it's sort of there's this feeling that he is about to be revised, you know? Yeah, well, he was
1: he was homophobic. Mm. (laughs) Uh, Mary Seacole. Mm. Oh, boy. Oh, boy, was she right of center. <laughs> you know they put up all these fucking statues to this woman. <laughs> but 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 then all these poor people, you know, we are all better than our worst act. That we have all done things which which are better than the worst things we've done. You know, it, it's an absurdity, and it must surely fall apart somehow, somewhere. You would hope.
0: I I think so. I I mentioned recently, you know, on the channel that. If you'd said in 1980 that, say, like, for example, the whole Soviet bloc would no longer be there 10 years later, people would have thought you were certifiable. So things yeah. can change.
1: Things can change. Yes. Let's, let's cleave to that, Peter. All right. Rod. To...
0: Well, look, we shall celebrate when we when this is over, shall we say, and have a drink and a pleasure. smoke. Thank you very much, Rod. Yeah. Thank you very it's much. A pleasure. It's a pleasure. Enjoyed it. Lovely. Thank you. Uh, that was so. what you're saying is. Wasn't that fun? Uh, anyway, uh we shall see you next time. So uh look forward to that. Bye bye.